Thanks for checking out the Refuge Official Podcast. Wherever you're from, we hope that this message will encourage you and help you grow in your relationship with God. Now, here's our lead pastor, Matthew Malik. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this time together as a church family. And as we conclude, Father, 21 days of prayer, we know that you have great plans for us. And as we continue to seek you and hear your voice, Father, we're committed to follow you with all of our heart and to live our life to serve your purpose. Continue to refine us, Father, and challenge us in the areas where we need to grow. In Jesus' name, I thank you for this church family, this church body, that we're growing together in Christ to accomplish, Father, your will, to make a difference, Father, in our community, in our neighborhoods, and in this world that we live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, you're ready for the word this morning. Now this, in our series on Build, part three, we're talking about the church, building the church. And I believe that 2019 is a year to build. It's a year to grow. That's kind of the theme we've embraced for this year. I believe there's great expectation to build in 2019. And so build carries a number of connotations. It covers a a number of areas when we relate it to the natural or spiritual dimensions of our lives. And so I believe that as we commit to look to God, there will be significant outcomes uh, this year. At the end of this year, I believe we'll look back and we can write things down and acknowledge what God has done in our midst. I believe there'll be great victories won. There'll be great challenges that we press through to see God's glory and to see God's hand in our community, in our lives, in our families. Now, last week, we talked about building relationships, and I shared with you three important elements for building relationships. If you remember them uh, or were not here, you can actually see it on the podcast or tune in online. There's, first of all, unconditional love. That's an important element in building relationship. Secondly, we talked about sacrifice. What are you willing to give up? What are you willing to to give up to better or improve another person's life. So, so many times we live in the snare of selfishness, and that hurts us in so many ways. And then thirdly, uh, another element is to remain, to remain teachable, which requires humility, because if, if you're not teachable, you're a know-it-all. And who wants to build a relationship with a know-it-all? Uh, many times you're just left in, in, behind, and, and uh, you, you're not be able to interject or interact with a person like that. So we need to re- remain teachable because we learn from others in, in so many ways. Now to build, we've stated, is to construct or form something by putting parts or material together over a period of time. Building is a process that takes time and effort. All of us are builders. In fact, we must adopt the builder's mentality. I believe that's so important. What we build we need to understand has the potential to impact eternity. And we need to think in terms of that. How are we living our lives in light of eternity? We need to place eternal value on what we do because we're building for not just what's going to be in this life, but what will go on beyond this life into eternity. Our key passage has been Matthew 18, actually Matthew 16, 18, But I want to talk a little bit about 
what precedes this particular passage. Jesus is seated with his disciples and he's instructing them and he poses the question. He says, who do men say that I am? And Jesus gets a response. He said, well, some say John the Baptist raised from the dead or whatever. Some say this, some say that. So they're all putting in different opinions of who men say that Jesus is. And see, that's a question each of us have to ask ourselves. Who is Jesus to us? Who is Jesus to you? Um, And Peter was the one that responded. Now, a lot of times Peter stuck his foot in his mouth, but this time he did good. And he made the statement because Jesus turned that question towards them, said, who do you say that I am? And it was Peter that said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, at that statement, then Jesus went on to explain what was going to happen. And so let's take it up from verse 16. Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So Jesus is stating that this came by revelation. A revelation is revealed insight, something revealed to us supernaturally in a way that we could not have known from the natural, from natural sources. So revelation is what the Father gives us to identify and acknowledge who Jesus is. And so then in verse 18, which has been a key verse, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, understandably, the name Peter means rock, but the Greek defines Peter as little rock, But the second word where it says upon this rock is really defined from the Greek as a boulder. So what Jesus was actually acknowledging from a little rock, Peter, he spoke a big rock, which was a revelation of who Jesus is. And Jesus said, upon the rock, upon the revelation of Jesus being the Christ, the son of the living God, that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Verse 19 goes on to say, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So Jesus declares in verse 18 that Peter's statement is the rock of revelation that he's building his church upon. It's built on the lordship of Jesus Christ. The lordship of Jesus Christ is the foundation that the church is established upon. And we need to understand that. And what does that mean? Lordship means he is in charge. And lordship in the way where we invite him to rule our lives, we invite him to basically be the master of our destiny, the master of our very life. It's giving him the right to rule in our hearts. Okay? And so... Uh, Lordship, in one aspect, is leadership. It's allowing him to lead you. And we are responsible to follow. And so uh, the church is an advancing force of divine influence in the earth against the force of hell. 
because Jesus made it clear that the forces of hell or hell itself could not prevail or hold out against the church. And so many times we think that the church is a fortress and hell is trying to get in. No, the church is a force that is entering into the authority in the realms of hell, where hell has gained influence in this earth. The church is that influence to go into those areas and bring the influence of the kingdom of heaven. And so uh, Jesus stated, again, I will build my church and the gates or the governments, that word gates literally means governments of hell shall not prevail against it. So there's, there's a government of heaven and there's a government of hell that's governed by spiritual forces and influences. And there's a battle. There's a battle going on right now between the forces of light and the forces of darkness. Now, as a lead pastor, this particular verse, Matthew 16, 18, is most comforting and reassuring. It comes from the very lips of Jesus, knowing, first of all, that it's his church. It's not my church, it's his church. Secondly, it's knowing that Jesus is building it. And it's by his strength and by his ability because so often if we look at what we have humanly to contribute, we may feel we fall short, and we do. But yet if Jesus is building it, how many of you know something's going to happen? Something's going to succeed in, in the fact that he's building it. And so I'm reassured by that as a pastor. I know that Matt Malik is not building this church. Jesus Christ is building this church, creating with Jesus to build this church. He's working through us to get the job done. We have a cooperative part and role to play in the building of the church. And so you will hear me say often, if you're close enough to me, I thank God, this very statement, I thank God that Jesus Christ is building refuge. And that's something you can say too. I thank God that Jesus Christ is building this church. He's building refuge. That applies locally as well as universally because there's local churches and there's the universal church, which we're all part of, but God establishes local churches in which to carry out his mission in communities around the world. Now, the Greek word for the church is interesting. Uh, it's ekklesia. Some may say ekklesia, or others may say um, ekklesia. Okay, so there's two different ways to pronounce it. It's a compound Greek word. The first word, ek, ek, means out from and to. And the second part, klesia, meaning to call. So the church literally means the called out ones. Those that were called out of the world system, called out of death, brought into life, called to be separated from a world that was bound and going to hell to a community of believers that are part of the kingdom of God. And so we, we see this uh, according to actually Strong's Concordance, the church is an assembly, a congregation, the whole body of Christian believers, an assembly of Christians gathered for worship. Now, what's really interesting, I discovered in my research, that the word church, ecclesia, actually was a term for Caesar's cabinet. And the cabinet was those that he appointed those he called out of the Roman Empire 
to serve with him to rule the empire, to rule in his kingdom. And so I'm sure the disciples were a little bit taken back when Jesus said, I'm going to build my church, because literally he was saying, I'm going to build my cabinet. I need to put together a cabinet of those that will rule and reign with me. And we see references in the scripture that talk about how we will rule and reign with Christ. Well, those that are part of his church, part of his cabinet, are able to rule with him because he's called us out of where we were into a place to where he wants us to be. So building the church. So if Jesus is building his church, then what's our part? And that's what I want to talk about in the remaining time we have. And I've broken it down into the three T's. The three T's, and I'll give them to you first, and we'll go back and discuss each one. The three T's, time, talent, and tithe. Okay, and we're going to talk about these things. Now, there's so many dynamics that work with each of these, but really to narrow it down, and there's others that we can include in this list, but I believe these are three primary ones that it's important that we know. And so uh, Jesus has invested himself in the church. The church is a mission. And the mission is to reveal Jesus to a world that is lost and without hope. Okay? And uh, it's important to realize that the local church is important. And let me ask you the question, do you love the church? We may not like everything about it, but you know, Jesus is passionately in love with the church. And we need to develop a passion and love for the church as well. We really do. If you don't, you will neglect it and you'll fail to do your part. And the question I have is, will you be involved to help build it? Because that's what Jesus is doing. He's building the church. Because we can criticize, we can be judgmental. Uh, somebody told me one time, Pastor, um, the reason I don't go to church is because there's too many hypocrites there. And I thought for a moment. I said, well, thankfully, at least they're going to church. Because maybe they'll hear a message from God's word that will address their hypocrisy. And maybe they'll change. And so just because there's hypocrites there, that's no excuse for you not to be there. And you know what? I've discovered that we all have hypocrisy in our life at some level. We're just not always willing to admit it or even recognize it. But it's there. And just ask someone else, and they may be able to help you with that, okay? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so now we need all hands on deck. Now, if you're a believer, then you have a role and a part to play in the church. If you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, accepting his lordship, if you believe he died for your sins and he was raised from the dead to give you new, new life, then you really become part of the church. You've repented from your sins. You've turned your heart and life over to Jesus. You love him with all your heart. You desire to serve him, live according to his word, um, you know, to be a believer is one the scripture recognizes as one who's born again, born of the spirit of God, entering new life in Christ. Old things pass away. All things become new. We become new creatures in Christ. 
And so as members of the church, members of the body, we need all hands on deck. Now, how many of you heard that expression before, all hands on deck? This expression actually implies involvement and participation, everyone in. It's actually a call for members of a ship's crew to come to the deck, usually in a time of crisis, a storm or something. Okay, we need everyone up here. Um, a hand as actually a member of a ship's crew. It's a call to everyone available to help. And I believe that's my call today. All hands on deck. Let's get involved. So let's look at these three T's. The first is time. Time. Now imagine there's a bank account that credits your account each morning with $86,400. It carries over with no balance from day to day. Now each of us has such a bank. It's called time. Each morning, it credits you with 86,400 seconds. 86,400 seconds. So how do you spend or manage your time? Every day, we have 86,400 seconds to spend. That's 1,440 minutes. Now, if you fail to use the deposits for the day, the loss is yours. There's no drawing against tomorrow for what was given to you today. You have time. Don't waste it on worthless pursuits. So what are you doing to invest in eternity? So that's what we need to consider. How are we spending our time? I believe we can all be better time managers. And I know this, I waste too much time doing stupid things. You know, like I can be real putsy with things. Uh, just ask Deb, you know. And, you know, I, I, you know I'm, I don't know if I'm getting better or worse at that. But anyway, we're moving right along. Okay. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17, the scripture addresses the management of our time. Isn't that interesting? God's concerned about how you manage your time. And so uh, Ephesians 5, verse 15 says, look carefully on how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And the best way we can manage our time is when we understand what the will of God is for our life. If you don't know the will of God for your life, you're going to waste your time. You're going to misappropriate your time. And so then uh, time, we need to understand why is it so important? Because time is life. Because life is measured in time for the duration of our stay in this earth. When you give your time, you're literally giving your life. Now, how many of you work a job? Maybe 40 hours a week, maybe 20, whatever your schedule may be. At the end of the week, maybe every other week, you get a paycheck. And that paycheck, is basically compensation for your life that you gave to that company, to that business for that period of time, whether it's two weeks, one week, or whatever. And so time is money, time is life. We, we hear those things, and it's realizing that when you give your time to something or anything, you're pouring your life into that thing. Okay, so how are you spending your life? It's determined by how you spend your time. And so... 
Whatever you give your time to is what you invest in your life in. Now, I, want, I think of the accumulative time that people serve as volunteers here at Refuge. I think years ago we added up like how many service hours, how many thousands and thousands of volunteer time has been given by people that serve here at Refuge. And, not, and you think about uh, those that serve uh, in different capacities, whether it's a welcome team, somebody out there at the welcome, with the welcome team at the door, or in the sound booth, or on the platform here with the worship team, or back in children's ministry, refuge kids, people serving. Uh, and then all that goes on during the week, the behind-the-scenes stuff, stuff, not just our weekly gatherings, because there's a number of volunteers for just to do a service like this. I'm not sure what it is. How many is it, Deb, usually? Yeah, we should get that number. We should know that number. I think it's, you know, it's up there, maybe 50. I don't know what it is. It's just to do a, a weekly service. We need that many people serving in some capacity. Um, and then, then we have different people that have served so faithfully. And, and I, I want to mention one person. She doesn't know I'm going to share this. But her name is Becky Clavine. She oversees the check-in for refuge kids. This gal, oh, she's right here today. Yeah. Uh, she has no children of her own, but yet she spends her time to serve children and to serve moms and dads. She's been on staff. She's been volunteering. She, she was a part of the worship team for many years. She's served in so many capacities, and she never complains. She does it because it's in her heart to do. And so God bless you, Becky. I'm glad you're in the service to hear it. And um, uh, your blessing to this body, your blessing to this house. Um, and then we have this young couple up on the front row here, Harold and Joan. You know, they never say no to anything. If you ask them, we need you to do this, they're on it. Except they're getting a little older, so it takes a little longer for them to get to it. No. Not really. <laughs> So we need younger ones to come and help them and assist them. But they're such an incredible blessing to this body of believers. Their faithfulness is an example. And, and they have kind words to share, to build you up and encourage you. And they'll serve in whatever capacity they can. So we have people that commit their time. Yeah, let's give them a hand. There are so many areas and opportunities for involvement. And one phrase I like is, find a need and fill it. Find a need and fill it. And it, don't, it doesn't take long to find needs around here and then commit to do what you can to fill it. And so time, that's, we could talk more about that. Giving you time, that will help build the kingdom. Okay? The second is Talent. And the passage I want you to look at is Romans 12, verses 4 through 8. And here we see a dialogue or in, in, uh, words that talk about the different roles where people can serve. It says, for as in one body, we have many members. And this is in reference to the body of Christ or, or, or the church. We have many members. And the members do not have the same function. So there's different functions. Verse 5. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individual members one of another. Having gifts 
that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Let us use them. Okay, just got a text. There are 46 people serving today as volunteers in today's service alone, back in Refuge Kids and just in any kind of function for this church. So thank you. So a talent, what's a talent? A talent is an ability, a gifting, something that you have that may be different from what others have. Guess what? You won't see me up here singing with a microphone. That's not my talent. It's not. And if I thought it was, uh, you would have to have a conversation with me, okay? Um, And it would have to be brutally honest, okay? And so uh, we have functions and talents that differ. And we see this actually laid out here, verse 6. A gift is, a talent is a gift that you may have that will bless another. Having gifts that differ accordingly to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, if proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, So we see here motivational giftings that people possess. You possess one of those gifts, and those are to be used for the benefit of building the kingdom of God. So having gifts, you do have a gift. Maybe you haven't discovered it yet. You have something that you can do to serve, something you can do to bless another. So are you using your gifts and talents in the church? Because there's a place, there's a role, there's a function for you to use your gifts. And sometimes it's sad when people say, well, my gifts aren't useful here. People want to share their gifts and use their abilities. If you have, you know, expertise in areas, hey, talk to me. Maybe we can put you to task on some things. 1 Corinthians 12.8. I love this passage because this is a God deal. Verse 8 says, but as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. God is able to arrange things and, and put us, us in the place where we need to serve and function and belong. Dropping down in that same chapter in verse 27, it says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. See, we are part of the body. It's interesting, and this is an allegory that we see in Scripture. The church is typified as a physical body. And, and it talks about the various parts of that body in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But what's interesting, it identifies, it acknowledges that Jesus Christ is the head of the body. Now, he's the head. From neck down, that's us. So think about it. If your head makes a decision to want to pick something up, what is it going to do? It's going to use the body to do it. The head gives the instruction, but the physical body carries it out. And that's the same with the church. We are the hands and the feet of Jesus in this earth. What God wants to do, he wants to do it through the church. That's why we need to be all in, all hands on deck. Because when one member is missing, the whole body suffers. 
And that's what the scripture also tells us. And we could spend more time talking about that. The third T we want to address is the tithe. Ouch. Oh, pastor, you're going to talk about the tithe. Well, it's for your benefit that I am. Because the tithe in principle has been established for the blessing and the well-being of God's people. It's for you. It's not to hurt you or harm you. It's not against you. It's not to take from you. It's to release you into a place where you can experience God's blessing at a different level. Now, Malachi chapter 3.10, we see the principle of the tithe. And this has, been, this has been established in Scripture throughout the Old Testament, and it's confirmed in the New. Matthew chapter 3, verse 10 says, Bring the full tithe. Now, tithe, we'll stop there, means tenth. And in this case, it's first tenth, the first tenth or the first fruits. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Now, the storehouse is in re- reference to the church or the place where the ministry of the kingdom is executed or carried out from. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I'll not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. Now, this is the only time scripture ever allows us to test God. It's with giving of the tithe. He's literally saying, test me in this, prove me wrong. You can prove me in the tithe. If you do this, I will open the windows of heaven and I'll pour out blessing upon you so that you won't suffer from need or lack. This is a great promise, but yet it's overlooked. People see it as a legalistic kind of thing, but there's a principle here that we cannot ignore. And as as a pastor, I have an obligation to give you the truth, and I don't want to withhold the truth from you because if I do, you won't walk in the fullness of God's blessing. And now, the backdrop of this particular passage that we just read in Malachi 3.10 addresses the negligence of the people who failed to honor God by putting his work first. Instead, they put their own needs and interests first and gave God leftovers. Imagine for a moment if you had this pie, this beautiful apple pie, I call it God's pie. God gives you this pie. And you have a bunch of people seated seated at the table. And and the people there represent, okay, your home mortgage, um, utility bills, uh, school payment, this and that, car payment. And then God's sitting there at the table too. And so you're starting to slice up this pie. And... You start with your home mortgage, you start with all these things, and you realize, oh, you just have a few crumbs left. Oh, sorry, God, this is all that's left. And you give him the crumbs or what's left in that piece of pie. See, it's, it's being a steward of what we have, but really tithing is putting God first in your finances. And when you do that, you're involving him in your financial matters. Otherwise, you're on your own, trying to manage on your own without God's help. So God wants to bless us because he loves us. And he wants to bless us so we can be a blessing. And, and the blessing of God is, is not just more money or economic or physical things. The blessing of God is, is peace of mind. It's, it's forgiveness. It, it encompasses so much more than just the financial realm of our existence. 
And we need to understand that. So when we talk about God blessing us, it goes far beyond the paycheck, far beyond what's in your bank account. It's a healthy marriage. It's, it's kids that are, are growing and, and, and succeeding in their lives as well. There's so much more that goes with that. Now, the mission of the church is built upon the obedience to this principle of the tithe. The result of obedience to the tithe is that there'll be food in God's house. The cabinets won't be bare so that we can make an impact in the community and reach beyond these four walls. You know, a church that's just maintaining, that's not healthy. A church that's just barely getting by, it's not healthy. There should be such surplus so we could be expanding and reaching out and blessing the community and blessing missions and, and going beyond these four walls to touch our world. It's really a principle of stewardship, which is remembering it's not our money, it's God's money. You know, I've never had to depend on people's money to build this church, to pay for the mortgage, to, to pay for these buildings, to pay for what's going on around here. It's all God's money. But it's those who are obedient, who are obedient to release God's money that has accomplished what has been done and what is being done through this ministry. It's all a matter of the heart because Jesus in Matthew 6, 21 says, for where a man's treasure is, that's where his heart is also. And the moment we place our treasure in the kingdom of God, our heart goes there. It always follows our treasure. And so God's after your heart. He's not after your money. He's after your heart. But the principle that we see that Jesus talked about in Matthew 6, 21 is that a man, where a man's treasure is, that's where his heart is also. Now, I want to share a couple more things before closing. And that is a statement that is very important because we have teaching out there today that's not biblical. There are those who say we give to get. That's wrong. No, we get to give. See, it's, it's a privilege. It's an opportunity. It's a responsibility. We get to give. We don't give to get. See, and I, I, want, to share, I want to share this, and I want you to hear my heart. Uh, if you're not tithing, I ask the question, why? And I believe there's reasons why people don't tithe. And I'm going to give them to you real, real quickly here. The first one is lack of knowledge or ignorance of God's word. You just simply don't know. You don't know the revelation. You don't know the principle of the tithe. And, and, and it's realizing that it's not to burden you, but it's to bless you. It's for your good and well-being. God didn't establish it to bring harm, but to bring blessing in your life. It's one of the areas in our life where we put God first. If God's not first in our finances, is he really first? Because of the nature of money, the Bible says um, we're either serving God or mammon. We're serving God or money. So money is always competing with God in your serving. And so who are we serving? Are we really serving God? Well, if we put God first in our finances, then that settles that issue, that we're not serving money. Money will never be my master because I'm always going to put God first in my finances. I'm going to always honor him with it. So lack of knowledge or ignorance of the word, you need to begin to research and study it out and have a biblical understanding and premise of why you do it and then respond obediently. The second is doubt. And this is simply lack of trust and certainty that God will meet and supply your needs. 
you question whether or not he will do it. So you take matters into your own hands. And I know sometimes, uh, you know, when, when it comes to it, okay, are we going to pay this bill or are we going to tithe? And sometimes, well, we, we don't have the money this week, so we're going to have to forget the tithe. But in our house, that never happens. If we have bills that, that have to be paid, God's going to always come first. And, and, you know, God's never let us down. I mean, there's, there's been times that, that looked like that we were going to be let down, but God's always met us. He's never failed us. And so there's that doubt. You just, there's that uncertainty. But it's, it's a step of faith. The third is unbelief. And unbelief is something that will always result in disobedience. Unbelief is simply a refusal to act upon the word of God when you know the truth and you refuse to obey it. And so my challenge to you today, if, if, if you are not tithers or don't know about that as part of your involvement in helping to build the church, then talk to us about it, do research on it, but prayerfully consider beginning to tithe and honor God with your first fruits. And I believe God will bless you with that. And some people say, well, uh, I tithe my time. Well, that's good. But you can't fail to tithe your money. Now, if you have no income, that's one thing. Yeah, then you can tithe your time, and God will honor that. And so, in conclusion this morning, and the worship team can come forward, I believe it's important in understanding these three T's. I mean, if you remember what they were. Time talent, and tithe. I believe these are three important elements in building the church of Jesus Christ. And this morning, as we conclude this service, I want you to look at these three T's and ask the Lord, Lord, what do I need to do in any of these areas? And maybe, well, I believe God's going to speak to you. And God's going to show you what you can do to help build this church. And we're thankful for what Jesus is doing. And, and, and we know that he calls and raises up local churches. There's great churches in our community. Refuge is just one among others that are really doing a great work for God. But yet God calls and sets us in a place where we can grow, where we can serve, where we can function to accomplish his purpose. Refuge, we believe all people matter to God. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to connect further with Refuge, feel free to go online to wearerefuge.net or on social media at wearerefuge.